How many of you have been pruned? I just got a really bad joke coming. Just don't worry. Don't worry about it. You don't have to laugh even. I used to get pruned a lot when I was a kid because I loved to be in the water. I know, that's really bad. So that's a totally different kind of pruning that we're going to talk about tonight. But like, I I, I just just let that alone. Pretend I didn't say that. Isn't that weird though? Isn't like the way your skin gets all pruny? Isn't that weird? They don't even know why it is. Like I read up on this and they have no idea why it is. I thought it was just like simple, like your water, your skin absorbed too much water or something. But no, it's not that. They don't know what it is. It's weird. Anyway, different kind of pruning altogether here. Perfect. I like it. So, smile. <laughs> In this world, we have a lot of things that are coming at us. A social critic named Neil Postman wrote several books on the way in which technology has actually created so much information that we don't even know what to do with the information that comes our way. We can't even seem to make good decisions oftentimes because there is just simply too much stuff to sort through to figure out what is right and what is wrong. I mean, I think it's gotten even worse. I know it has gotten worse over the last number of years because we have so much information now, we can't even tell real news from fake news half the time, right? It takes you like an hour after you read just one story from a seemingly good news source to determine whether or not there's actually any validity to it. It's crazy. It's crazy. We just have a lot of sources, a lot of, a lot of information to sort through. And it's kind of dangerous, and it's kind of important, I suppose, to sort through the information or just maybe stay away from a lot of it because the information that we come across, it forms the way we think. It influences our thinking. And I would never say that in light of this, as Postman put it, information glut, we just have an information glut that we, should, we shouldn't be afraid. I don't think we should be afraid just because we have so much information. But we should, or maybe we must, in light of all of this information that's coming at us, that's trying to influence us and trying to form us, we must stay connected with the true source of life, Jesus. So we're in the season of Lent. And for the last number of weeks, we've been talking about giving stuff up. And not just giving up coffee, not just giving up chocolate, not just giving up sugar. I mean, those are all fine, right? You can give those things up. Coffee, you're insane. Um, don't give up that. I know you're insane anyway, so I'll give. Not really, Rita. You're really giving up coffee? Wow, good on you. That's crazy. That explains some earlier conversation that we were having. <laughs> right? But really, truly, God doesn't call us to give up coffee. He's not calling us to give up sugar. He's not calling us to give up those things necessarily. He's calling you to give up so much more than just those like niceties in life, right? He's, <laughs> he's calling us to give up ourselves. He's calling you to give yourself to him, to not just be like, waking up in the morning to be like, oh, what do I want to do for myself or with myself today? But instead, God wants us to be in this constant place of saying, God, what do you want from me? How do you want me to live? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to act? Where do you want me to go? 
That's what God wants. If there's something that we need to connect with during the season of Lent, it's we have died to ourselves and we live for Christ. Two weeks ago, we talked about being refined. This, this image of taking ore, heating it, melting it, skimming off the impurities off the top. And this being an image of the way in which God refines, changes us, turns us to be more like His Son, our Lord Jesus. Through the sometimes fires of suffering, whether we find ourselves because of our own decisions in the midst of that and are refined, or whether we enter into suffering because of somebody else, God will use those experiences to refine us, to be like His Son who suffered for the sake of us. Today, yep, you guessed it, we're going to talk about swimming. No, we're going we're to talk about pruning. We're going to talk about pruning. So I want to read from us, from Matthew. Sorry. From John, chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to stop and discuss those for a moment. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So let's go over this for just a second. So Jesus says, I am the true vine. He doesn't here just say, I am the vine. He says, I am the true vine. So apparently there are false vines out there as well. And then, as this metaphor slash allegory goes, Jesus' Father, our Heavenly Father, is a gardener. It's kind of a cool image to think of, God the Father being a gardener. You know what? The tomb Jesus was confused with a gardener. Hmm. The disciples then, are we, are the branches. This imagery is a fairly common one. However, the way Jesus uses it is a little unique. There's some twists in the way Jesus uses this metaphor. So if, if you will, I thought about even having a whiteboard up here and just drawing this out. So if you just like, in a really rudimentary fashion, envisioned, try and go with me, especially if you're a visual thinker, like there's a, there's a, there's a vine, and that, that vine is Jesus, and then y'all are shoots coming out of that, your branches coming out of that vine. Just kind of try and picture that a little bit, right? And then as branches, you have other little outgrowths as well, okay? So can you picture that? You can... Yeah, just like that, actually. That would have been a great one. And then there's, there's a gardener, 
God, the Father. And he comes along, and he looks first at the whole plant, the whole vine. And he looks for branches that are just like almost dead, just not producing anything. And he first, he just cuts those off. You don't want to be, you don't want to be that one. And then for the ones that actually were producing fruit, in order for the branch to produce more fruit, he takes this pruning hook and he cuts off the places that are just sucking up some nutrients, but they're not actually producing any fruit. In order, again, for the thing, for the branch to produce more fruit. Can you get that? In, can you see that in your head? See, there's like, if you look at this process in nature, and I don't want to pretend I'm a horticulturist, I am absolutely not. But if I think, if we think about this, this, this process, the way that it works, just simply looking at the plant again, there's an association or an, agree, an agreement, if you will, right, between the, uh, the vine that provides nutrients to the branches, and it's something like, I'll tell you what, I'll give you some nutrients and you produce some fruit, okay? Got a great relationship here going, great association going, and this is the purpose of you as branches being branches engrafted into me is that you are going to produce fruit. Cool, okay? So I'll, I'll produce the nutrients you need, give you everything you got to have. All you got to do is, like, stay attached and produce fruit, okay? It's the purpose of the plant. Like, this is really simple in many ways, but I just want to point it out. And again, and this is super important to how Jesus... Teaching works. In order for that plant to bear good fruit, to be a good fruit producer, to live for its purpose, it has to be tended. Fruitless branches need to be cut off, and fruit bearing ones need to be pruned lest they become unhealthy and fruitless. So you might have noticed there was an interesting piece of uh, verbiage here. It says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. But then it goes on in verse 3 to say, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. What in the world does pruned and clean have to do with each other? Does this make any sense? Are we all of a sudden changing imagery and talking about laundering some dirty laundry or something? What, are we, what in the world is going on here? Interestingly, Cathario is the, is the Greek word behind this idea of being pruned. And it's the same word. It's the same word. Cleaned and pruned is the same word. As a matter of fact, it probably should be translated either both cleaned or both of them should be pruned so that it, connection makes sense, right? Jesus then says, Well, every branch in me that does not bear fruit or does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. You are already pruned. Or... Every branch that does bear fruit in me, he cleans. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. This is the work of the Father. This is the work of God the Father. This is what he does. He is the one who first cuts off non-producing branches. And then the one who takes a pruning hook 
and at just the right time cleans or prunes the fruitful branches. I say this because it's really important that we understand that we don't know how to discern a fruit-producing branch from a non-producing branch. We don't. This is what the Father does. This is not something for us to look out. Okay, all right, Holly, you're not producing enough fruit. Come with me. No, you're, you're just, you're, we're going to take you out, cut you off, throw you out into the burn pile out here in the trash, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, right? Because I don't see enough fruit, right? But God sees fruit. He knows what's going on. We don't necessarily, unless God somehow gives us some insight, we don't know what's going on. As far as I'm concerned, I want to see the process of pruning going on in the rest of, in all of you. Just the simple fact that you're here, right? Something going on. He's the one that gently, knowledgeably, not just cuts off branches, but knows exactly what to do in order to help your life produce the most fruit. When Kat and I went down to, on our honeymoon, we went down to the Napa Valley and we had an opportunity to walk through all the vineyards or many of the vineyards. And I was like blown away at like, when you know what you're doing, taking care of vines, the amount of fruit that grows on it is like insane. I mean, have you, have you been down into a, a vineyard and seen just somebody that knows what they're doing, just the massive clusters of grapes that vines produce under, under the watchful eye of a, of a, of a master gardener they know what to do just where to clip just what to take off just what to leave just when to do it this is what our heavenly father knows he wants us to be fruit bearing branches and he knows just what to do in order to produce the most fruit in you and not to rush off too quickly here but I also want you to notice that Jesus speaks of his father's work here as first a work within the community. He works among the community of branches, cutting off the non-fruit-bearing ones. And then he moves to his work on the individual. So we oftentimes get stuck in thinking about God just working on individuals all the time. But God works for the good of a community. And he first, here again, starts with a communal look. He looks at the whole vine. He looks at all the branches. Which ones of these branches need to be cut off and discarded? Only after that, then, of those that are left, does he turn his attention to the individual branches and cleaning or pruning them. So this is all, like, cool, right? But, like, we're not grapes. <laughs> Right? We're not, sorry, we're not actual branches. You're, you're peoples, right? So how does this, how does this work? How does it work as it's related to humans? Let's back up again for a second. Just get this in your head. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. We are supposed to produce fruit. The father is the gardener. Okay, simple at this point, right? But what about other aspects of this process? What other work of translation do we have to do? What is the equivalent for us humans of, say, the life-giving nutrients of the vine 
delivered to the branch. What, what is the equivalent of that? Right? We have a clue of, like, we have a better idea than anybody in the ancient Near East would have of exactly what the nutrients are and how all that scientific process works. But in their simple understanding, they knew that there was something going on of a flow of nutrients into the branch. But, like, what is the equivalent of that? Because it's not like Jesus has his feet planted in the dirt and we're actually, like, leaned up against him and he's pulling, like, stuff out of the ground and putting it in us, right? We have to do some kind of work here. So what, what is it? What, are, what is the equivalent for us humans of the life-giving nutrients of the vine? Or, or what does the process of pruning or cleaning look like for us peoples? Right? Because it doesn't literally look like the Father showing up with a pruning hook. Right? So what does that look like? What is, the, what is even the equivalent of a pruning hook? Or what is the equivalent of things that we need to be pruned or cleaned of? Now, that's kind of an important one because you don't have just like old growth on you that's sucking out the nutrients and you need to have it cut off, right? I mean, I did have to have a little tumor removed from the side of my nose a couple of years ago, but I mean, <laughs> I don't think that that's what Jesus has in mind as far as cleaning me or pruning me, right? And what is the equivalent for humans of fruit? Because like, as much as I like grapes... I really don't think that God has in mind that we're just going to, like, walk around with a bunch of grapes. So let's explore for a second. What are the nutrients? What are the nutrients? Just as they are in the relationship of vine and branches, they are things that are going into you. stuff going into the branch connected to the vine. So the nutrients are things that are going into you. What's going into you? What is going into you? What do you let into you? What, what are you connected to that's influencing the way that you think? What are the things that are instructing your worldview? Things that are teaching you? Shaping how you interact in the world, what you do, how you live your life. Because we all have those things, right? You have things that have come before and that are coming in the present that are influencing how you live your life. They're like calling the shots in the back of your head. We've all likely had many vines. But Jesus is the true vine. We need to be influenced by him and by his way. The nutrients need to flow through Jesus into us in order for our lives to produce fruit, in order for our lives to be honestly worth, worth, worthy of living. So what about the pruning hook? Just as a pruning hook removes and cleans unhelpful growth that gets in the way of fruit bearing, pruning hook is the means by which what is false in you and unhelpful in producing fruit is removed. Okay, but what is that exactly? Right? I don't know that I can say what that is exactly, or, or I don't, maybe, maybe I could, because I think the Scripture tells us exactly what it is. It doesn't say this is what the pruning hook is, but it tells us how we get pruned, Right? And what does it say? I already read it for you a couple of times now. Verse 3, 
You are already pruned by the word I have spoken to you. Even though this is the work of the Father to do the pruning, the work of pruning or cleaning is done by the word of Jesus. So visualize it again. Jesus is a vine. You are the branches. Jesus is the source of the nutrients that are going into you. What is going into you? What is going into you? What should be going into you? The word. And when the word comes into us, it cleans us. You take out all the icky, filthy, no good stuff, junk crap that's stuck in your head and in your life, and you let God take it away. Let it let him cut it off of you. You let the, the lies that many worldviews have spoken to you for much of your life be displaced by the true vine, by the true source of life. And this process looks like a constant privilege given to the Father to remove your preconceived or wrongly conceived notions about being human in God's image and allowing for the fruit-producing way of Christ to grow in you. I love that Jesus says that apart from me, you can, can bear no fruit. It's like you can't be a rogue branch. You, ever, you picture that now? Like, we're all branches, there's a vine, that's Jesus, and one of the branches is like, oh, I'm out of here! Right? It doesn't work that way. You will wither and die. <laughs> so if you can just picture with me again. So you got, you got, you got Jesus the vine. You got us the branches. The father, the master gardener, he comes and he sees which branches are producing no fruit. He cuts them off. He gets rid of them. And then the ones that are producing fruit, he prunes them. The source of life is Jesus. The source that's coming into us or the, the, uh, the things that are influencing us, the nutrients that are coming into us, the stuff that's going into us. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying, stay in me, be in me. Let me be the source that's telling you and informing you in your life. Let the word that I've spoken to you prune you, make you clean, make you whole, give you life like you've never had it before. Oh, that's beautiful. It's like really super simple. People complicate this sometimes and maybe, I don't know, I hope, it's, I hope it comes across as simple because it really is. It's not complicated at all. Well, let me get to this other part. So just what then is the word? What is the word? Is it the whole teaching of Christ? Is it like everything? You're connected with the, the vine, you're a branch, you want to produce fruit, and it's like the whole teaching of Christ? Is that what Jesus has in mind right here? The whole thing? Or is it maybe what we find in the most immediate context of John, namely that Jesus came from the Father? That's the most immediate thing before it. The disciples are discussing with Jesus. I came from the Father. I do what the Father tells me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's trying to help his disciples understand that, that Jesus and the Father are one. The Father does, or what Jesus does is what the Father has has told him to do and what he's seen his father doing his whole life. So again, is it the whole teaching of Christ or is it what we find in the most immediate context? Jesus came from the Father. Is it something else? Or maybe yes. 
Well, let's read on. Jesus actually starts, it's like, it's like he pushes reset, and he starts this whole metaphor all over again. It's a little bit different, though. As I read this, I want to explain some things to you along the way. So Jesus starts again in verse 5, after having already said, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Like, yeah, we got that, Jesus. Okay, sweet, thank you. It's a good reminder, though. And then he goes on, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Because in that way, you're tied with the source of life. And because with such a connection, you're being pruned. That word constantly flowing into you. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Again, no rogue branches. We're not off doing this thing by ourselves. If you do not remain in me, you are like the branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Because again, without this connection, you will be fruitless. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. In me and in my words, Jesus said. Remain in me and in my words. Of course, that means that Jesus must be Jesus by Jesus' definition, right? This is to the, the glory of my Father, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As a father has loved me, so I have loved you. Remain in my love. So actually, he's backing up a little bit again and explaining some of what he just had to say. What is this remaining in Jesus? It's remaining in his love. You've probably heard people talk at great lengths about abiding in Christ. Abiding in his love, living in his love, living in the love of Christ. Okay, Jesus, awesome. I will do my best to abide and to remain in your love. I will, but how? Tell me, what does that even look like? What does it look like for me to remain in your love? If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Okay, Jesus. So to remain in your love, I must obey your commands. And that is? Hmm, these are smart ones are connected to the vine. <laughs> Just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in His love, I told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. There it is. Your word to us, Heavenly Father, your word to us, Jesus, is this word. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. I've told you this before, but John the Apostle in his old age is said to have been just mumbling this over and over and over again as he apparently was losing his mental faculties. He's just simply whittled everything down to just love one another. My grandpa used to say, yep, 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 yep. 
We used to go up to him every once in a while and be like, hey, Grandpa, can I have a million bucks? He's like, yep, 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 yep. But apparently, I know, right? But apparently, when you went up to John the Apostle and you just said, what should we do? He'd say, love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. My command is this, love each other. And not just love each other by your own definitions of what love looks like, but love one another as I have loved you. So to keep his command, in order to remain in his love, in order to remain connected with the source of life, the vine, Jesus, remain in his love and love one another. You can't tear him apart. Just like when Jesus says, his first command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You can't tear him apart. To abide in Jesus' love is to receive love from Jesus. And to be loved by Jesus is to love one another. And this is super important. Any source of information that comes your way that would encourage you to not love one another is not the true vine. And I'm, it's tragic how easy that stuff can get up in people's craws. People start just getting grumbly and complainy about everybody and anything and everything. Love. Where God wants us to remain. In Christ's love. Love is the word that must nourish every other word. So even when people, I said about something about Jesus has to be Jesus by Jesus' own definition of himself, right? Presentation of himself. Somebody that tries to convince you that something that Jesus does doesn't look much like love, I have a feeling they're probably misguided. Jesus continues. Greater love. And remember, we are called to love one another as he has loved us. Greater love has no other than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command, which is love one another. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, my Father will give you. And again, just to drive the point home for us one more time, Jesus says, clarify everything, making sure we're not going to miss the mark. Love each other. What needs pruning in your life? Maybe we should even back up. Are, are you letting things influence you strongly that are out of step with the true vine? I don't know divine step. I don't think they do. Out of the true flow that comes your way of nutrients from the true vine? 
Are there things that are influencing you? Are there things that you're giving yourself to? Are you that rogue vine that ran around and plugged yourself into a different vine just to see what it was like for a while? And maybe you need to step back to hearing from the true vine, allowing his nutrients to be drawn into you. Because unlike vines, we, we seem to be able to remove ourselves in some capacity or restrict the flow of God's love to us, the nutrients that he's bringing to us, his word to us that prunes us and makes us clean. So from there then, if you are directly connected with that, that vine that is Christ, what needs to be pruned in your life? It cannot happen without abiding in Christ. And it cannot happen without abiding in his love. Are you abiding in his love? Let's practice that for a moment. Abiding in Christ's love. You were loved by Christ. The purer love than this world has ever known. Jesus the Christ gave his life for you. To display the love that he has for you. You were once an enemy of God in your own mind. And now through his love and sacrifice, you are a beloved child of God. Let that sink in for a minute. You're loved by Christ Jesus. You're loved then by God because Jesus and the Father are one. You once excluded yourself, and now by the love of Christ, you have been included. In his love, you can rest. He said, and he says, come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Put it on. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. My teaching is not requiring you to do anything but love one another. Jesus, I think through his life, says things to us like, see that prostitute? She was made in and through me, in my image. In the same way that I love you, I love her. In the same way that you can rest in my love, she can rest in my love. You and she are not so different. Sure, she might need some transformation back into my image, but so do you. And that tax man, ditto. And that drunkard, yep. That overzealous religious person, you got it. Not so unlike me. And that laborer and 
that man born blind and that girl with an unclean spirit and that boy over there who cannot find a job, even that Canaanite woman and that Iraqi man, all the same, not so unlike you. Rest in my love. And remember that they too are called to rest in my love. Keeping in mind, if I might, what has changed you? What has changed you? In your relationship with Jesus, what has changed you? Was it his harshness? Jesus asks, was it my heavy burdens? Was it my judgmental attitude that said, said, get a job, loser, and then maybe we can talk? Was it that that drew you to me? Was it that that gave you peace? What is it through that that your life was transformed and changed? What was it? You know me. You know my father. I and the father are one. Do you know me? Have you seen me? Yes, we have. So what was it? In me, Jesus asked. That changed you. His love. His love. Knowing that you're loved. Knowing that you're cared about. Knowing that you have a God who would die for you. Not just who would, but who did. Knowing you have a God that leaves the 99 to find the one. God who came to seek and save the lost. That's where you can rest. That's why we're so drawn to Jesus. Because of his love. Because of his love. So we must remain in that love. That same love that drew you to him the very first time that you laid eyes on Jesus, really on Jesus, is the same love that he has for you today. His burden doesn't all of a sudden become overbearing and impossible to carry just because you've been walking with him now for 10 years. It doesn't mean, or five years, or a month, or whatever. It doesn't mean that he's just slowly handing you more stuff and saying, okay, 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 here's, now you got 100 pounds, now 1,000 pounds, now 10,000 pounds. No! His burden is always light. Because his love is always there for us. And it's there for your neighbor. It's there not for you to just remain in for your own sake. But again, as we talked about earlier, remaining in Jesus' loves mean in Jesus' love means that we will become ones who love like he loves. Remembering that my goodness, what changes the heart? Of man. Being loved. I just returned to one question What in you needs to be pruned? What in you needs to be pruned? What needs to be? What needs to be cut away? 
what things are influencing your life that would try and convince you that there's a way to be in this world that does not require you to love? Is there anything? Is there judgmental attitudes that are being influenced by some source in your life that need to be trimmed away in order for you to grow in Christ-likeness and in his love? I don't think, again, we need to be afraid of the information glut that we find ourselves in this world. But as we hear things from this world, we need to bring it all back to the source of life that we are connected to and allow Jesus to form love in us as we abide in him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you that you made us you formed us in love, in your love. Father for the Son and the Spirit, the Son for the Spirit and the Father, and the Spirit for the Father and the Son. And in that love relationship, you formed us. You made us in your image. And that you, though our love failed, sent your Son into this world that we might have life, that we might be loved, and produce a fruit of love and see other people's lives transformed as our lives have been transformed and are being transformed by you, Jesus. We love you so much, Jesus. We thank you for the things that you're doing in us. And again, I just want to pray for um, like people in our congregation like John and Jenna who, who just need, who need you to be with them right now, who need you to be encouraging them. Father, for so many other situations, so many other needs in our community, be with people, be with us, prune us. Help us to surrender ourselves to you and to allow this pruning process where we don't grow grapes, we grow love, happens. Thank you so much for this day, for this night. Amen.